From Mesh AI, this is the Data and AI podcast. It's episode three. I'm Red Lewis, and joining me today is Deepak Vensi. How's it going, Deepak? Not too bad, thank you, Red. How are you? Not bad, mate. Not bad. We've got a guest today. Tell us more. Yeah, really excited to have with us today Robin Sotara, the fuel CTO of Databricks. And we're going to talk about helping large organizations become more data and AI enabled. Um, Robin, thank you for being here. But before we get stuck in, please tell us more about Databricks and your role. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. So as you mentioned, Robin Sutara, I'm currently a field CTO with Databricks. Been with Databricks for seven months, so not terribly, terribly long. Uh, my entire role and function is really helping organizations as they think about the lake house journey that they're going on to simplify their data estates and become more data-enabled businesses. How do you think about people and process and and organizational design, operational models, all of those components that come into actual implementation? Uh, one of the reasons that I took on this role was prior to joining Databricks, I had been with Microsoft for 23 years. So I always like to tell people I started when I was 12, so I'm not quite as old as I sound. Uh, so 23 years, obviously, at Microsoft, varying sort of roles. My first role was actually supporting IE5 on Windows 3.1, so I was very technical. I uh, went into the business, went into technology, went into business. Ultimately, was uh, Chief Operating Officer for Azure Data Engineering, uh, and then landed my last role, which was Chief Data Officer for Microsoft UK. So really focus on helping Microsoft do their digital data transformation, the operations, the processes, the organizational components, uh, and less about the technology platform. So it's been a super exciting ride and really, really happy to be with Databricks now and help customers truly realize the value and, and value proposition of their data and becoming data-driven businesses. That is truly one heck of a journey, Robin. Um, and actually, it was uh, your time at Microsoft when we first got acquainted as well. So really excited to hear a bit more about your journey and your work at Databricks. But I guess also more, more importantly, besides your day-to-day role at Databricks, you're also a member of organizations like Women in Data and Chief. So please talk us through what that is, because you're actually driving quite a lot of causes outside of your day-to-day role as well. Yeah, I think what I've noticed throughout my career, um, pre-technology, I was even U.S. Army. So I've always been in careers where I'm clearly outnumbered as a, as a female in the audience. Uh, and as I started to progress in my career, I noticed that that discrepancy becomes even greater. Um, so oftentimes I'll walk into an executive board meeting, I'll be the only female of 20 people in the room, or I'll walk into a data conference and I'll be the only female out of 100 people in the room. And so I started to really think about what are the organizations that are trying to drive this mission of how do we drive more equity and inclusion uh, across the technology space? and across the executive space. So if I look at women in data, it's really focused on the technology around data, data roles, data functions, various levels, regardless of whether you're entry level or you're an exec, it's really focused on how do we get more gender diversity in data? Because if you think about things like AI, bias in your data sets, et cetera, you have to drive diverse teams to be able to mitigate some of that. If everybody around the table of your data science team is exactly the same, you're not going to recognize those biases. It's just inherent by our nature. And so I really appreciate all the work that Women in Data is really thinking about, like how do we just get more uh, diverse representation into the data space? And then how do we make sure that they're included and there's equity and they have a voice? Chief is interesting because I joined that just recently this year uh, as they expanded from the U.S. to the U.K. So I'm one of the founding members in the U.K. and they are focused more on uh, women at the executive table. How do we make sure that we get more gender diversification, 
of female representation in the executive boardroom and how do we get them to stay? Because I don't know if you've read recently, uh, but but lot, a lot of women are stepping out of roles. I mean, if we look at the political figures and announcements that we've seen, et cetera. And so there's really, uh, despite the fact that more women are entering into executive roles, women are leaving faster than they're entering. And so we're still driving toward this uh, even bigger uh, chasm between the representation that we have at the boardroom. And so how do we create a seat at the board and keep them in the board? We recently spoke with Roisin from Women in Data, and I, I, I consider myself reasonably well-read and, and, and sort of forward-thinking, but some of the things she told me was sort of quite shocking. Like the idea that 65% of women have never asked for a pay rise, things like that, I, that blew me away in that I just had no idea. So you know, the fact that we're talking about it and the fact there are organisations like this and the fact that you're Taking steps forward to change it is obviously to be commended and something we all need to do within the organisation and the industry to help. And so Robin, no doubt, all of this great work that you're doing is probably what's also led you to be recognised one of the top 20 women in data and data IQ's power list of the 100 most influential people in data. What does that mean to you today and how does that recognition feel? I, I, I'm actually uh, really, really, really honored. It was both of them were unexpected. They they both sort of come as nominations from people across the industry. Uh, so just honored that people sort of recognize and and realize to, uh, that that we all sort of have the power and a voice to sort of drive that difference. And so hopefully it operates as some sort of inspiration for others that come to follow who will do even better and greater things than I've ever been able to accomplish in my career. So in your role then at Databricks. Um... What kind of things are you helping organizations do? Are you focusing more on organizations becoming more data-driven or is, it a, is there a wider remit in terms of the, the questions you're being asked? Yeah, I think interesting, right? Lots of organizations, I think, have built bought into the Lakehouse vision, right? So if we think about the technology and the capability of the technology to be able to deliver and help break down some of those silos, uh, to really sort of drive organizations to leverage their data more effectively or efficiently. Um, but, the, but the problem comes in actual implementation, or at least I find that the problem comes with implementation. And so organizations start to think about, uh, this is our current organizational design today. We're siloed, right? Our data teams are siloed from the businesses. We don't have clarity on our ROI. We don't understand how to do data mesh and, and organize our right and, and structure our organization. We don't know how to build out centers of excellence or how do we equip and enable our business users to be more data-led and data-driven, right? We have great data science teams that are creating all these models and no one's using it. And so I always sort of reference the field of dreams that we sort of have gone through this evolution where people felt like they would build it and people would come. We found that they didn't come, right? And so now how do we think about... So a lot of my function at Microsoft was really helping to think about how do you drive processes? How do you create processes? How do you do people change management that allow organizations to really um, pivot the way they do that? And that's communications plans, it's operational models, it's organizational design, it's creating enablement programs and how do you land that? And so if you think of foundationally, change management has been around a long time. The problem is we've depended on technology to mitigate the gaps we have in our organizational capabilities and it's just not possible it has to be all of it you have to have empowering technology but you have to think about what are the processes we need to change so a lot of organizations that i talk to today want to talk about 
How do we think about our organizational design? We love data mesh. How do we do it? How do we implement it? Okay, what do you mean by data mesh? And how are you thinking about your org? And how is it structured today, et cetera? And lots of organizations, I've had a lot of conversations around governance. So, right, there's always sort of the focus around regulatory and compliance, sovereignty, data residency, all of those sort of issues, particularly with Brexit, the separation of the UK from the EU. I'm responsible for all of Europe, Middle East, and Africa, which represents a pretty significant disparity on what are the requirements in those space. Uh, All of the AI ethical regulations that are coming out, right? Italy has now banned JATGBT. Germany is looking at banning it along with Ireland. And so there's just lots and lots of things going on in the ecosystem today that customers are just wanting a perspective on and how do we have those conversations. And as they think about their vision of where they are today and where they want to get to with data, uh, you know, what best practices or, or known issues can they avoid as they go through that journey. It's moving so fast, right? It is, absolutely. There's definitely quite a lot to unpack then what you've mentioned, isn't there, Robin? Because on one hand, I'm sure you probably spent all your night reading about all the various regulatory requirements that you need to be aware of because just from the sheer amount of countries that you covered, there's quite a lot of discrepancies between them. But perhaps if we were to unpack that and look at some of the bits you started off with around organizational design and this concept that platform teams have had for years around we will build and they will come. I think we've all learned in our previous experiences that that's not fundamentally going to work. And so one of this um, term that I've heard recently is actually being business driven and data and AI enabled as opposed to data driven because what that forces people to do is think about the business value and how can we get our wider organization working on what we need to do. So out of curiosity on that, how have you seen organizations in this day and age, in 2023, make a case for how can data and AI be embedded in the day-to-day workflows of their colleagues so that it's not just the technology teams building something for the sake of it? My recommendation is always sort of first follow the money, right? What's what's keeping your CFO up at night? Right now, there's a big emphasis around price of energy. So how do you drive operational costs down? How do we capture new customers while the market's sort of in this uh, you know, a- ambiguous sort of position today. How do you deliver better services for your customers? I've had some clients tell me we don't want any more new customers because we can't take them on right now. We want to deliver better services for our existing customers. And so my recommendation to data teams is as you're thinking about your data strategy and the implementation of that strategy, what is the connection to the overall business goals and objectives that the board cares about? And where can you actually have measurable impact on the business that the CFO is going to uh, right, sort of wake up, sort of open their eyes and look at and say, oh, that's relevant for our organization. So whether that means you're driving the efficiencies, you're creating new streams of revenue or delivering better services to customers, if you can tie your specific data projects back to one of those outcomes, it becomes much easier to start to measure the actual value of your data asset or data as a product, which I think lots of organizations have started to talk about. And so really thinking about what is that return on your investment for that specific data outcome. And it can't just be, we built a platform so we're saving you know, X amount on our cloud consumption usage or our on-prem licenses. It's been interesting over the last five to 10 years, I would say lots of organizations were focused just on infrastructure cost savings as opposed to business value 
uh, you know, revenue that they could create in some capacity. And I, I think the successful organizations that are being data-led or data-forward or data-driven are the ones that can explicitly tie it back to an actual PNL type of line item for the organization that's going to sort of drive value. So I think once you have that set up, that really helps you then take the next level when you think about governance and structure within your organization. Uh, you know, how do you create the principles? How do you create the communication plan? So just following traditional change management, it becomes much easier when you have those outcomes in mind as you start to to create that out for the organization. So you're the, you're the CTO, but you're talking about much more than technology. No, no, I suppose no organization or people in an organization, they're not waking up thinking, mm, I think I need a lake house today. I think if they're probably, they don't know what they need. And so sounds like your role then is more about the technology is important, but actually it's so much more than that. Exactly. It's beyond that. It's like a true partnership. How do we think beyond the technology? And and my hope is that my, you know, my career path and my history opens up sort of these newer type of conversation. I've lived the pain that they're trying to live through. And Lakehouse is a great technology platform. One of the reasons I came to Databricks was just the pace of innovation, the open ecosystem, true multi-cloud. Uh, I just think it's an amazing technology. And now how can I help customers sort of leverage that to drive those business value outcomes? That's very interesting, Robin. And, and actually, that there was quite another interesting part that you called there around follow the money, right? It's it sort of reminds me a bit of uh, what our colleague Ben Saunders says, who's the chief customer offer at Mesh AI. He often says you're either reducing risk, making money, or cutting costs, right? And if you're not doing either one of them, then something's fundamentally flawed, uh, which aligns very well to, to to your approach as let's just follow the money, and that's where we know something valuable will come out from your data initiatives. Um, I'd love to hear your take on on this other concept that we're seeing bubbling up more and more in the industry, which is like we've seen in the financial services sector, particularly in the UK, which was well followed by other industries, with things like open banking, actually a lot of the principles were how can we open up the data from our walled gardens of an organization and work with your broader partner ecosystem to drive more value, reduce more risk across the entire sector. And as, we, as we're starting to look at sectors like financial services, uh, like healthcare, like energy, actually sharing data with partners and ecosystem is becoming more and more important as organizations also look to decarbonize their supply chain or de-risk their supply chain. I'd love to know, you know, how have you seen organizations think about data sharing and what are some of the key challenges they're seeing in that space, which arguably is is quite a big governance concern as well when it comes to it. Yeah, I think every organization is trying to think about data sharing. It's interesting to me, these big multi-million dollar organizations that still operate on emailing spreadsheets or FTP, like, oh my gosh, how are, is that really how we're still sharing data across the organization? And the answer is yes, right? Because there's exactly all of those concerns. So I think part of it is the, te the technology platform. So for example, at Databricks, we have Delta Sharing which is an open sharing platform that allows, that's non-proprietary. So not everybody has to be running on Delta to be able to use it. And I think for me, that's a great first step to think about an open sharing ecosystem. How do you create a technology platform that allows you to share with whatever partners or vendors that you need to while setting policies and controls in a single place that allow you to sort of maintain that. I think this is why we also see the evolution of marketplace when you think about how do you share in a monetized manner. So I think we're starting to see 
this amalgamation of all of these ways that it comes together, whether it's for a financial benefit or a, uh, right, a, a direct financial net new product or business model benefit or an actual improve our existing product. Um, I, but I think the other thing we have to think about is we can never lose sight of the people in the process. And so while we have great technologies that are coming out around sharing of data across ecosystems, the organizations that are the most successful are those ones that have sort of thought through what are those uh, you know, requirements around GD GDPR or SHREMS to or sort of all these regulatory requirements, but at the same token that we're not being so stifling for innovation that we've locked everything down completely because that's when you just sort of have an avoidance. I almost feel like the pandemic opened doors that we never had before. If you think about what Tesco has talked about before, like obtaining NHS data around vulnerable COVID patients so that they could prioritize them for grocery delivery. If you think about pre-pandemic, things that type of data sharing would have never happened. Like an organ, right? An individual would have never said, "Yes, retailer, please take my health data and leverage that to my benefit." But now, I almost feel like consumers have this expectation of a level of service delivery that they want. That I, I think we're going to start to see this evolution of. GDPR as it's enforced by regulators versus being enforced by consumers. And how does that slowly evolve as we think about sharing in a more open ecosystem across uh, across different organizations? Yeah. And I mean, you know, whilst the, the pandemic certainly had um, quite some impactful implications on people, what it did certainly do is almost push the boundaries of how we as consumers expect our data to be used almost across the ecosystem that we use on a daily basis, right? I mean, I, I was laughing as you were, uh, you talked about sharing spreadsheets because, uh, yeah, the sheer number of time I've come across people maxing out the number of rows they can possibly add onto an Excel spreadsheet um, is, is, is a bit scary. Um, and you're right, um, in reality, organizations right now haven't necessarily figured out what is the best approach to share data across their ecosystem because everyone is locked in either into certain technology or techniques that frankly aren't interoperable. Um, and a combination of that being scared to not potentially breaching certain regulatory implications is is also something that keeps, um, I'm sure, chief risk officers awake at night. Um, but arguably, I think that's where we're collectively now starting to see a combination of technology providers, but also internal colleagues within an organization asking their teams to push the boundaries and explore how can they be more effective when it comes to sharing data, right? And I think a big part to that is the, the aspect that you touched upon earlier, which is creating enablement capabilities and upskilling people to understand how to do things differently. And I have, I've often found when working with data, it's not that people have the wrong intentions at heart. Actually, everyone's got the right ideas, but oftentimes people don't know the art of the possible with all the new techniques that are being introduced, let it be data APIs, data meshes, data products, doesn't really matter, but actually they can interact and share data and, and consume data differently. So what have been some of the most effective enablement activities that you've seen organizations run to be able to bring their colleagues and their employees on board to interact and work with data differently? Uh, I think some of the best examples are, I, I know people hate the term center of excellence, or <laughs> uh, but, but sort of that concept of how do you get business representation into sort of a collective of champions for data across the organization. So some of the most successful organizations I've seen is where they actually solicit out via 
hackathons or education or training or uh, gamification or sort of those ways to build up these this this group of champions that consists of your data talent, but also consists of people that are just in the business that are struggling with a problem that can be solved with data. Because if you think about it, your data team operating in a silo isn't going to be able to identify those issues without that connection. And so I I think that con- the organizations that had uh, moved the quickest toward a higher level of maturity in the data and AI sp- space have figured out a way to create that synergy across the business. And so whether that means embedding data people within your business groups or your business units, or it means bringing your business groups into sort of this collective of champions to drive it, it's got to be that two-way communication between the groups to, to make some progress. No, and I think we, we've certainly seen quite a lot of that with, with techniques like federated data governance and the rest, haven't we? We read where we can bring business teams closer to the data that A, they're sharing, but also consuming at the same time. Yeah, I think so. And I think one of the things that a lot of organizations are not struggling to get their heads around, but I think it's the, the idea, but also the implementation of how you delegate the authority to teams to be able to manage and implement the rules around data and data governance in such a way that requires a high level of trust between different departments. So I think in some organizations, they're so big that is quite difficult to do. But like you say, Robin, the companies that move the quickest and most successful are those organizations that can do that and are doing that well. Well, and I think also thinking about the process around that, right? Because if you every time we talk to data teams, there the big complaint is, you know, data quality and the business is pushing back that they don't trust the data, et cetera. Technically, the business owns the data or they should own the data. And so how do you make sure that your processes are driving the incentive for them to enter quality data into the system in the first place? And so the approach we took at Microsoft was, you know, sort of multiple. How do we think about things like, sales programs or incentives that were strictly based on the data so that people had to enter quality data to be paid. But that's always a good one, right? People always appreciate being paid for the data sets. Follow the money, right? But being really stringent about like no exceptions, it's what's in the data. If you want to be paid that incentive or that bonus, put the data into the system and that's what we will use. And so things like that really started, or I remember when I was at the COO role, uh, I allocated headcount based on the data. Like, here's the principles. I've communicated it to you. You have to enter your data and requirements into the system so that I can do an appropriate analysis. No more hallway conversations with the VP, right? It's just not, that's not how we're going to drive the business. And so I, I would encourage people to think about what are those processes or incentives or sort of programs that you can create that will help you mitigate and address some of those governance uh, you know, sort of controls across the organization because that becomes super helpful as well to think of it holistically. Um, and with the recent boom of sort of generative AI tools obviously coming or becoming much more popular in the last, or I don't know, it feels like last six months, maybe it's not even that, I don't know. But um, are people talking to Databricks about that space or are people still focused on data and, and managing data or is it a, a mix of the two? I think it depends on the maturity of the organization. Everybody's talking about it. Yeah. Everybody's that those that are actually ready to do something about it, I think are probably few fewer than those that are actually talking about it. But it's been super exciting. I think just the uh, um, what chat GPT and, and others have sort of opened it to be a regular conversation. So we've been talking about AI for years and years and years. Now I think, uh, you know, bots and sort of customer service and how do you provide that, natural language modeling, all of those things have been in conversation. Now it's almost a daily conversation, like how are we thinking about that? And 
uh, every organization is trying to figure out, you know, how do how do we follow the money? What are the things that we can optimize leveraging this technology? Uh, I think the bigger concern becomes the governance regulatory requirements around how do we make sure that we're doing that in a safe way? There's some biases, obviously, in the data sets. And so how do we think about, uh, you know, making sure that the, there's quality data coming into the uh, answers that we're trying to solicit out of this generative AI solutions or modeling, uh, which is why my right why Databricks sort of invested in Dolly, which uh, right is in sort of open source where they sort of said, can we leverage uh, on a much smaller scale and a cheaper basis? How do you think about internal only data sets? I think I was just reading this morning Samsung, uh, right? Yeah. It, it's uh, entered in proprietary information into ChatGPT, and now it becomes part of the data sets. There's lots of use cases where people are trying to leverage the power of this technology because it's so so much more accessible, I think, than it's ever been before. Uh, and so how do we make sure that we as technology providers are providing capabilities for organizations to do it in a secure way that that ensures that we're protecting customer data uh, as much as and proprietary information and trade secrets and all that as much as possible. So innovating, but with responsibility as well, it's all baked in, and that's not to say that Firms that are building these aren't doing it responsibly, but like you say, it must sort of send shivers of fear down people's backs when the idea of like seeing GDPR data or customer data reaching these models, and they're effectively they're there forever, right? Because you don't know how the models work, exactly. and so to try and back that out is going to be an immense amount of work. And, and I mean, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because oftentimes, at least now over the last six months, as we've seen ChatGPT and other generative services become more widely available. Um, Every time you now talk to organizations about data, they are like, why aren't you talking to me about AI? Because I want to talk about the new exciting things. But what they don't realize is the importance when it comes to accurate data products, to having enforcing data contracts, to having a mature approach to data governance, to data sharing. Actually, if you don't have those foundational components and capabilities in place, things like generative AI almost becomes a bit of a dream for you because you aren't really able to put in governed data from your organization that you want that LLM to contextualize and then give you the right responses. And then we have scenarios like the one you mentioned around around Samsung, right? Well, unfortunately now the data that you've inputted, which is corporate data, is something that's now not available for the organization to to remove from that learning model anymore. Yeah, so I think uh, th th there's a couple. I think one is clearly representation, right, which we talked about women in data and chief for both organizations, but there's others as well that are definitely focused on how do we get diverse representation within, within the data community. I think once you have representation, now we really need to start having the conversation about inclusivity and equity, which are two different components than just having representation. And so uh, you know, how do we start thinking about taking it to the next level to really drive organizations uh, to think about and be held accountable for how they how they how they drive their inclusivity programs to allow these now diverse representation across their teams to have a voice as they think about the organization. So I, th I think for me, I would love to see how do we focus more now on the inclusivity and creating that capability across the ecosystem. Uh, because there's no better place than data to do it, to be honest with you. Like the opportunity is just amazing. If you think about the, you know, the representation of multiple skill sets that come to, to the table in a data space, we just drive more and more value for society, for business, for customers, for consumers, for citizens, et cetera. And so 
I think that the whole world is in front of us on how do we really leverage the power of that. So on the topic of diversity, you started off with quite a diverse run through of your own background over there, Robin, uh, having done all the various roles that you've done across the various organizations since you were 12, as you mentioned. Um, so how did it that you got started in your career? And I guess most importantly, like what would be the suggestions that you would give to someone starting out today? Yeah, I think uh, I, I definitely had an eclectic career, right? So starting in the U.S. Army. Uh, uh, so I actually I started my undergraduate graduate studies in computer engineering because I was definitely going to go into, at that time, AI and robotics was a random number generator. So yeah. I am definitely dating myself, but uh, right like that was the late, uh, the late but uh, ran out of funds. And so life happens, right? And so, so what do you think of next? Which is why I went into the Army, worked on Apache helicopters and did the weapons and electrical systems because that was the latest technology. And I was always, I always sort of gravitated toward uh, what's the innovation and what's the amazing sort of technology that exists in the, in the world today. I was very fortunate to land a job after that sort of doing hardware repair. Uh, so turned a screwdriver for a few years, replaced some many, many motherboard and sound curtains as I sort of worked my way through that. I did night school for my NCSE and then landed that role at Microsoft and then had an amazing career, obviously, in some of the biggest tech companies in the world. So I think for me, my my advice and guidance would be, it's okay if things don't go the way that you plan. Like, the, the, things will, won't go the way that you plan. I can guarantee it. And so just, uh, you know, be grounded in sort of the, the power and the unique value proposition that you bring to the table. Because I think as we think about diversity and inclusion, um, that's where we're going to create just these amazing organizations and teams is if not only are we creating the environments where they thrive, but we need more diverse candidates to apply for the roles in the first place. And so I would encourage everybody to really look at your background and think nobody would have ever said like, you, you're going to go from fixing Apache helicopters to being chief data officer of Microsoft or right or chief technology officer in Databricks. Like that is not a clear linear path to get from one to the other. So just stay grounded in the fact that things won't work the way you, you want them to, but uh, everything is a learning opportunity for you to build your capabilities and your competencies and, and be confident in your superpower that you bring to an organization. Uh, because that as a hiring manager is what I would look for is, do you have that? And, and is it going to bring something novel and new to the team that we're going to be able to solve societal issues with data uh, ultimately? Robin, how could people find out more about the work you and Databricks are doing? Connect on LinkedIn, more than happy to write to, to reach out and, and have conversations. That way I'll answer as quick as I can. The, if you want more information about Databricks, there's there's great uh, content up on their website. So www.databricks.com. Uh, there's self-learning, there's uh, the white papers, there's blogs. Uh, I have to admit it's some of the most brilliant minds I have ever worked with and they write white papers all the time. And so uh, keeping up with the volume of that plus external data our readings is, is becoming a little difficult, but there's some amazing information up there on on the products uh, that, that Databricks provides and how we can help you unlock the power of your data. Amazing. And how can people get more involved in Women in Data? That's uh, really easy. So go to womenindata.co.uk. Uh, and it's actually an open, free community. So anybody that's either in the data space or is interested in getting into the data space uh, can join for free. And then there's the opportunity, uh, they present lots of opportunities for uh, organizations that are hosting events uh, to get involved. They just did their flagship event in March. 
Uh, so there's lots and lots of opportunities when you sign up on their website to be part of the community, uh, to get connected in different uh, steering committees, et cetera, around areas that you're passionate about in, in diversity and data. Robin, thank you so much for joining us today. We know you're a very busy person, not just traveling across the globe, but also having to catch up on all the new insights in the data and AI space. So it's been great having you. And hopefully we could have you in a future podcast as well. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity. Lovely to speak with you both. Thanks, Robin. That's it for today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Data and AI podcast from Mesh AI. For more information, head over to our website, meshai.com, that's mesh-ai.com, or get in touch via email, podcasts at meshai.com, that's mesh-ai.com. See you next time.